Well, today is, uh, it will relate to moms, it will relate to dads, it will relate to all of us. It's called Ever Faithful. Our God is ever faithful. Can I hear a big amen? amen. He is faithful through the ages. He's a forever friend. He's an eternal friend. He never fails. He never sleeps. He's always watching over us. This morning, I've decided to look at three different psalms. I love the psalms. The psalms inspire me as they do you if you read them. And they make you uh, want to love God more. When they were written, they're written with such raw emotion. There's a psalm for everything. When you're high, when you're low, when you're melancholy, when you're joyful, when you're exuberant, when you're depressed, when you're low, when you're sad, there's a psalm. This morning I've chosen three. They're there on the back of your worship guide. If you'll turn there with me, a place to take some notes. And I want us to look at some of these from God's Word about being ever faithful and what He does for us. The first one you will find is Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. But I'm going to read it to you a little different than your translation. It's probably in your lap, unless you have maybe a parallel Bible like I have in my office that has like the NIV and the message, or maybe you just have the message. But I want you to hear this from Eugene Peterson. It says, God, look, enemies past counting, enemies sprouting like mushrooms, mobs of them all around me, roaring their mockery, ha, no help for him from God. But you, God, you shield me on all sides, you ground my feet, you lift my head high. With all my might, I shout up to God, he answers thunder from the holy mountain. I stretch myself out, I sleep, and then I'm up again, I'm rested, I'm tall and steady. Fearless before the enemy, mobs coming at me from all sides. Up, God, my God, help me slap their faces. First this cheek, then the other, your first, your fist hard in their teeth. I like that verse. Real help comes from God. Your blessing clothes your people. Now, when you read this psalm and others, you see the writing of one that's been affected by life. He's been upcarded, he's been upset by his enemies. And he's crying out to Jehovah. He's crying out to God. God, I need deliverance. I need rescue. I need refuge. I need your aid. I need your help. Has, is anybody in this room, have you cried out to God this week? Because God, if you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. Anybody but me? Yeah. You're saying, man, like all the time. Man, you get in traffic and you drive. You go home. People get sick in your life. There's not enough money. There's too much money. Who here has too much money? I don't know about that. Okay. But you read the Psalms, and you begin to identify with the feelings of the writer. And the Psalms give you and I permission to feel. Now, there's a lot of talk out there about feelings, and feelings are fickle, and I agree. And your feelings can go up and down, and your feelings can get stuck. You ever had your feelings stuck? It's a bad place to be. But what I want to tell you is feelings are created by God. Feelings are an emotion. Like, aren't you glad when you feel happy? How many of you are grateful for that feeling? Oh, yeah, man. I feel great joy. We have a guy today, I don't know if you noticed him, our worship pastor played the drums today. Did anybody notice that? And if you've noticed, Jeff's been walking a little higher the last month than ever before. 
A couple weeks, him and Anna are going to say their vows, and they're going to be married. And, and I watched him today. Man, he moves fast around here. He, she walks in, and, man, he just picks his step up. He, he feels something. And everybody's like, amen. And you feel that way about your bride. Amen? <laughs> that was pretty weak. Okay. But our feelings get stuck. Now, I want this to come up. God is big enough to handle your feelings. I want you to say that with me. God is big enough to handle your feelings. Of course, when they're good and happy and off the chart, you want them to handle those. But when you're at a really lab, a low place and you're sad and you're depressed and you're discouraged and you're overwhelmed, then you really want to know he's there too. That God, somehow you can help me through that because we embrace that. Like I've noticed that we have feelings when we go to sporting events. You, you ever notice that? You ever go to a ball game, a basketball game, to a football game, a baseball game, and, and the stadium is crowded with people, and emotions and feelings gather, and when your team does well, people jump up and down, and they clap hands, and they shout, and it's a good thing, isn't it? And, and people publicly will display their feelings. Uh, here, you, you go, uh, I, I know, re I didn't go to it, but I saw that some did. The Doobie Brothers had a concert here uh, recently. Anybody see about that? You heard that. And so some, people, so some people went to that, I'm sure, and they probably had some good feelings or they had some thought about in high school or, or God help them, whatever. Okay, but the bottom line is we don't have a problem expressing feelings at an event. But here's what I've learned. Sometimes in the church of Jesus, people get stoic and they pull it in. Some don't. Some express it. I'm just saying this is a place that we can freely express our feelings to the Lord and worship Him. But I know. You might have come today and there's some baggage and brokenness in your life and you're confused and you're angry and the ending of your story ended different. Your spouse died. You went through a tough divorce. You're going through that. You're disappointed uh, at work. You're extremely guarded. You're tired. You're confused. Uh, but the, the spiritual mood is, God, you are with me. God, you are for me. Lord, I, I want to praise you. Sometimes when I read the Psalms, I can see honesty, and I'm grateful for that. But if we're really honest, don't raise your hand. Sometimes you don't feel like praising the Lord. And sometimes you are so full of Him, you cannot wait to raise your hands to express to Him to sing a new song. And I'm just saying this morning, I pray that we'll make this journey together through God's Word, and we'll think about that feelings help locate where you are. Feelings locate where God is. Feelings focus on us. Faith focuses on Him. Feelings may have the first word, but they don't have to have the last word. God does. Amen? So God, my feelings, I don't want to gauge my life on my feelings. That, that's not, if you hear that today, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm saying we need to embrace our feelings, and feelings are okay. If we get stuck, then we need to try to figure out how to get out of that. Matter of fact, in the Psalms, you see here that David is the man that God says, he's after my heart. He pursues me. He loves me. He had a son, and his name was Absalom. And he was on the run from his son. He, his son was in rebellion. His son wanted to take his father, wanted to kill him. There was a coup. Uh, David had a dysfunctional home. There are people in this room that have dysfunctional homes. <laughs> You're like, have you been to my house? We all have some sort of dysfunction in our life. Some is just highly and more seen than others. But the background of this particular psalm in Psalm 
three is one of betrayal. Just write down the word betrayal. When you've been betrayed, man, there's some bad feelings that come. There's, there's some hurt. And David's problems really, if you go way back, it began when he decided to take Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And he asked for her, and he slept with her, and he had her, and then he tried, and he had him, had her husband murdered. And then he tried to cover it up. So all through his life, he kind of defaulted some moral authority in his life. So then when his son was trying to do stuff, he just kind of left it alone, and then he's got on the run from him. And then Amon later was enamored with his half-sister, and there's just all this dysfunction flying around the life of David. You just have to read the Scripture. But, but because David had committed some serious sin, and then his son had, he really didn't have a leg to stand on, so he really didn't say anything, and finally God makes it right. But I want to say this. When you and I rebel, it doesn't catch God off guard. Aren't you glad for that? When we sin, when we fall short, when we miss the mark, God knows. He still loves us. He still invites us to, to have fellowship with him in union with his son. But sometimes the shame seems to be too great. And I said it earlier, David was a man after God's heart. I love King David. I don't like his sin, but I love his loyalty and his trust and his allegiance to God, and as he dies, a mighty man of God, that God would say, David is after my heart. I just thought this morning, moms, can God say that about you? You are after my heart. You pursue me. Dads, can God say that about you? Son, you pursue me. Do your kids see you pursuing the Father? That, that's what it is. To, and then there's a word here, selah. It means to pause, and it means to ponder. In there, they, the psalms are written for musical instrumentation, and they would sing so many of these, and maybe they would take a break and they would change instruments, but it was a pause. So when you see in different translations of the Scripture, you see selah, it means pause. Stop. Ponder. Reflect. Worship. And then let's just look here at some of these verses here. In verse 1, Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many. Circle the word so many in your Bible. Do you ever feel like you live in the so many club? God, there's so many bills. There's so many people that don't like me. There's so many. There's so many. There's so many pills to take. There's so many. There's so many. And I just see this here. And the enemy, you know what I've noticed in my soul? The enemy always exaggerates. Points. Have you ever noticed that? He exaggerates it in your life that you, you begin to fixate and you get obsessed with the things of the enemy and his activity. And God says, no, no. Raise up above that. Selah. Ponder. Like, have you ever gotten some positive emails and you save them? You read them. Have you ever gotten a negative email? You ever got one that wounded you? I have. Many times, more than I want to say. And I can get 10 compliments, 10 positive emails, and I can get the one, one complaining, one whatever, one negative comment. And you know what I've learned that does? Man, it messes me up, and I can begin to just obsess over the negativity and, and, and ask God, now, God, is there something you want to teach me? So I want you to write down a principle. Are you going to allow your critics to define you, or are you going to allow God to define you? Because here's what I want you to see in here. Who holds your destiny? Your critics or your God? Who holds your destiny this morning? I hope you say the Father. But it could be that you're allowing 
negative influences, those that the enemy is working through to define you, to begin to outnumber you, to help you turn against, and then you just feel so hopeless. But David assesses the situation, and he goes, God, you're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. And God lifts up David, we see here in the Psalms. How many times has God lifted you up in a situation when you've cried out in desperation to him? Wait a minute. Have you been delivered? Has God lifted you out of the pit recently? It's a great place to be. You say, no, I just live in the pit. I just stay there. You're letting that define you. Let God define you this morning. I like what it says here. Look down here at verse 3. But you, O Lord, you're a shield around me. You are my glory. You're the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord. He answered me from his holy mountain. I like that. The psalmist is just going, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a rough time. And I cried to God. I called out to him in faith, and he, he was my shield. He protected me from above, beneath, around, without, within. So I recognize that God's protection is better than life. Do you know God's protected you? Have you ever thought about how many times you could have been killed in a tragic car accident and the hand of God was upon you, his angels encamped around you? Do you all think about that like I do? God encamps around us. I mean, we all gather today, so God's been protecting us. He's been watching over us, and we've been beat down by stuff, and God says, I want to lift you up, and I want you to cry out to me. I want you to trust me. I want to, I want to answer you. There, there was a song, if you've been a Christian for any number of years, our music has come so far, praise Jesus. But I loved it. It was good. There was an artist. He was, uh, I think he was president, or he was real high in the integrity music, and his name was Don Moen. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Remember any Don Moen music? And there was a big song, I think back out in the 90s, and it says, and God will make a, a way. And we're not going to sing it this morning, okay? But, but that song would just, and I went and YouTubed it this week because I was just thinking about, man, that used to be a great song. We'd sing in the church, and we'd just think about the faithfulness of God, and he was ever faithful. And I thought, man, God, and here's the words. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my God, hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. Do y'all believe that this morning? God makes a way. God makes a way in the dark place. So this morning, I don't know where you are. Maybe you're on top of Joy Mountain. You're like, man, things are great. Here's the other thing I'll just tell you quickly. I love the name of Jesus. Jesus. When I wake up in the morning, I love for that to be my first word in my prayer. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for keeping me through the night. Jesus. Look at verse 5. Look at it. Here it is. You ought to box this on your Bible. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. Isn't that good news? You ever have sleepless nights? <laughs> like, yeah. And here, the Bible just tells us that God watches over us. He protects us. He moves us from trouble to trust. We belong to him. We're God's jurisdiction. We're God's property. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. And God says, I sing over you. Zephaniah says, God sings over us. I, I just, I, I think that's amazing. God loves us. So do we have a fear of God? Do we have a fear of man? And then look what he, then he goes on down and he talks about punching them in the mouth. Slap my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. How many of you pray that prayer? Then this would not be a great prayer to pray in the presence of people, okay? God, I want you to shatter their mouth today. 
da 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 you do this like they're like man but but god promises to vengeance his mind saith the lord isn't that good to know god will take care of the situation we don't have to take care of it ourselves in verse 8 he goes but victory comes from you O lord may we bless you may you bless your people god victory is yours it's in your hand and i'll receive some now let's read in psalm 34 this is just kind of the power of praise and worship from the psalmist. So we flip over to Psalm 34 in your Bible. 1 Samuel 21 would be a parallel text here. David is, a few, is, is on the run. It's a tough thing. He's looking over his shoulder. He's fleeing Saul. He runs and he makes refuge in the city of Gath. Does anybody know what the city of Gath, who was in Gath, who was popular in Gath? He was nine foot tall. Goliath. So, so he flees to this place, and you know, just weeks before he had slayed, he had defeated the giant. So those people weren't real excited about David because he had taken out their leader. And I was just thinking about this: as you look at Psalm 34, when we come to church, we get to bless the name of Jesus. Is that good news today, church? When we come to church, we bless his holy name. Did you come today to bless God? Oh, no, Pastor, I came for him to bless me. I came so I could check my box off and say, God, I came to church. God, I threw a 20 in the offering plate. God, surely you're going to be good to me. No, we came for one reason. We came to make an offering to the Lord, to worship him. What are the words in our mouth? Look, look here in Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. Verse 2, I will boast only in the Lord. You know, the Lord's been speaking to me about that a lot lately. What do I boast in? What do you boast in? Just right out beside that. What am I boasting in? Is it Jesus? Is it myself? Is it my accomplishments? Is it my, my, my? Or is it Jesus? Says, the psalmist just reminds you and I, I will exalt his name together. He's freed me from my fears. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me. I don't know if you have a fear today, but I'd say, give it to Jesus. Lord, I boast in you. Lord, I'm fearful of tomorrow. I'm fearful of that test that I have to take at the doctor. God, I'm fearful that I'm going to lose something. God, I'm fearful of this relationship. I'm fearful when my kid moves off from home. Father, I'm fearful. I don't know. We, we could come up with a million fears today. Or we could just go, God, I'll offer them to you. Lord, I trust you. And then you move on through this thing, and you see here in uh, Psalm let me see. Here it is. So look at uh, verse 7. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds, he defends all who fear him. I love that. God, you defend me because I'm in awe of you. I worship you. You are my defender. You're my declaration. I will depend on you, God. Lord, I'll run after you. And then verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you, you know, one time we used a Krispy Kreme and we're going to look on your seat. We have Krispy. No, we, we do not. Yeah. You know, we don't have any problem going, man, Krispy Kreme, man, that is so good. But I want you to know, how good is God? There's nothing greater than Jesus Christ. Amen? Have you tasted him? Have you partaken of him? Have you abided in him? Have you allowed him? And, and then it, it just says that he comes close to our hearts. Verse 10, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord, they lack no good thing. Maybe today you're going, I lack a lot. Well, I just got a question. Who are you trusting in? Have you gone to him? Have you looked to him? Have you made him? In this power of praise and worship, I just want you to fill these in with me. Worship is solely based on the presence of Jesus. 
This morning, we've come to worship Jesus. That's all we've come to do. And all that we need to do, this power, there's, there's worship wars all over our country, styles of worship, and on and on. Man, it's, it's just ridiculous. But worship is not about preference, but it's about presence. It's the presence of Christ. So this morning, I pray that you and I have come to say, Lord, your presence is here. Your presence is enough. You're more than enough. God, feel, come. We sing a song right here. Come and feel the atmosphere. That's what I pray today is the presence of Jesus is just permeating all over this living room. And it's just filling your life. And you're saying, my worship is based on the presence of Jesus Christ. Secondly, worship gives me perspective. When I worship God, I don't have to get caught up in the mundane and the, the day-to-day activities and the things that irritate me. I can rise above that and I can say, God, you have perspective. Lord, you know the outcome. Lord, my mind is 10,000 miles from you. But God, when I worship you, I draw near and I get perspective for my soul. We have the capacity to enlarge our problems. Have you ever noticed that? And, and the Bible says, come and magnify the Lord. When we magnify something, it makes it larger. And you can magnify your problem, and it gets so big, like let's say it's cancer, and it just cancer, and you just magnify it, and it gets bigger, and the problem just consumes you. Or you can go, Jesus. Jesus is my focus. He's my passion. I want to make him larger. I want to enlarge my life. I want to magnify his name. And he rises above everything. Everything has to fall when it comes to worshiping Jesus. It's, he's mega. He, he grows in us. In the Old Testament, I remember reading many years ago, and I went back and read it this week, about Jehoshaphat. And it's a really odd story there in Chronicles about he goes out to battle, and God says, Now, Jehoshaphat, I want you to do this. I want you to lead your troops in praise. And that's going to be my battle plan. You're going to lead a choir, and you're going to worship me. And now, we have great strategic military thinkers in our church, and I don't know that they would go, Well, that ain't, hadn't been in any of the books we've been studying about having a song and singing. But God, listen to what it says. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord, to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moses. Moab and Mount Seir, who was invading Judah, and they were defeated. So these people rose up, and the battle was won. Thousands were slain through worship. Now listen to the principle. Our enemy falls when we praise God. All enemies have to fall when we praise Jesus. I don't think anybody's heard me yet. When you're going through the valley, when you're going through a hard time, you've got an enemy, we we whine and we complain, and God says, praise me. Chains fall off. I love there's one uh, verse that we heard not long ago about, I hear those chains of falling. When we praise God, chains fall. Enemies are defeated. This morning, man, I've come to give you a good word from the Lord today. 
And you're saying, well, pastor, I, I want something else. No, man, this, this is God's word. Praising God defeats our enemy. Just write that somewhere. If that's all you hear today, that was enough. Praising God defeats the enemy of our soul. And so we engage in the worship experience. Worship, I want you to hear this. Worship has always been about full participation. Worship has never been a spectator sport. And so many people make it spectating. I'll look on that stage. I'll see what note they play. I'll see what they sing. I'll make sure the screen's just right. Hey, is my chair comfortable? Whatever, make it all about you. But you don't participate. You spectate. We've got to learn to participate in the full worship of God in our homes, in our cars, and certainly in the house of God when we come to worship. I pledge to you, God. And third, worship prepares me for battle. It just prepares you and me for the battle when I worship. And you're going to have a battle. I've got battles. And if I'm not in one right now, I'll get to have one. So we need the presence of God. We need, like, I've thought about this. How many times we're so close, one step away from the tipping point of the presence of God. One step away from God delivering us, and we quit. Do you remember that story about that swimmer? And they swam all those miles and they just gave up right at the very end. And had they just swam just a few more feet, they would have went through the fog and they would have finished. But they came up short. I think our prayer life is like that. Sometimes we don't endure and we don't finish and we're not persistent and we come up short. I'm admonishing. I'm encouraging. I'm exhorting you and me to say, God, I can't fall short. I've got to prepare for the battle. The battle's... In intimacy one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. The battle is when we come together two or three. The battle is when we come together as a church, as a faith community, a faith family, and we worship. And our worship has capac the capacity to set others free. Write that down. Our worship has the capacity to set others free. I really believe that. And when we don't worship we hinder some of the fullness of God. Do y'all realize next weekend, I'm just going to invite you right now, next weekend, come as a full participant, engage, not to spectate, to engage in worship. Our worship could raise the atmosphere of this room that people get free in Jesus Christ. Amen. Do y'all believe that? You're like, ah, oh, pastor, you're just kind of hyped up, man. Those are just kind of good words. They're God's words. They're scriptural a multitude of worshipers. And the fourth, am I giving God my best or am I giving God my all? God doesn't get into leftovers. I don't know, some of you like, I don't like leftovers either. Now, I do like leftover lasagna. I think it's better the second and third time you eat it than it is the first time. I mean, I'm going to say glory. But some foods, we won't name which ones they are, leftovers aren't quite as good. But God wants our best. The Bible says he wants our first fruits. He wants us to give our time and our talents and our energy and our resources and our life and offer up. So God, my response is I give you my best. Lord, I lift my hands means surrender. Just this week, my granddaughter started walking. She walked into the church a minute ago. It was glorious. And I got down on my hands and knees and watched her walk in. Now, what I'm really getting excited about, she has sounds and she does signs and we communicate quite well. But I'm really looking forward to her when the day she goes, Pop, I need you. 
game's over. Whatever she needs. And I've been thinking about it. Abba, my heavenly father's like, when's the last time you've been going, Father, I need you. I need you more than I need that. I need you more than anything. Father, I need you. It might be you're going through the battle because God wants your attention. It might be because God's doing his greatest work in this pressure of your life. And then Psalm 103, let's get to that. Man, I shouldn't have done so many Psalms. I'm saying, oh, this is my favorite. No, this is my favorite. My problem is they're all my favorite. I just love the Psalms. I love to read them. They give joy. They give instruction to my soul. But there's a great writer. His name's Ken Blanchard. He wrote The One-Minute Manager. And here's a thought off this. If we got into the habit of one-minute praising in which we catch people doing something right, it could change the atmosphere. Moms, I think y'all are good at this, many of you. Get in the one-minute habit of catching your kids doing things right and praise them and affirm them often. Dads, let's catch our kids. Let's catch other people. Let's catch people at work doing things right and not let the moment pass by and affirm them and bless them and go. But some of us say, no, no, pastor, I'm better at criticism, not praise. We've had a few church members here over the year. They told me I have the gift of criticism. I showed them the door. Not really. I thought about it, though. I will tell you that in my heart of hearts. Anybody can criticize. But we need to praise. We need to praise God. We need to worship Him. Or we get at this, but you say, no, Pastor, the one-minute manager, the one-minute of praise, I do the one-minute of blame. Nope. It's not what God wants. God wants us to worship Him. He wants us to rise above. In this psalm here, we, we catch people doing things right. I love what David says. He says, he talks to his own soul. L- look, at, look at this one with me. I-, I want you to just see this. Psalm 103. Let's all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise Him. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives my sins, he heals all my diseases, and he redeems me from the death and crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle. Now, I love that. That psalm just encourages my soul to go. There's a benefit package listed. Just write in your Bible. The benefit package of God is listed right here. You go get a new job, you ask people, what's the benefits? You know, what's the wage? Is there insurance? Is there retirement? Is there this? Is there that? Is there anything? Hey, you know, hey, do I have a parking space? Do I have to catch a bus to get here? Whatever. You just go, man, what's the benefits? Well, here God just lists out there's benefits for us. And just fill it in. Number one, first benefit is God forgives. That's a great benefit, isn't it? God forgives those that trust in Christ, those that cry out to him, those that ask him. Everything inside me, bless the Lord. God, forgive me, cleanse me, I trust you. Lord, I don't want to forget your benefits, Lord. You know, I'm like you. I forget the benefits of God many times. And God says, here's a benefit, I forgive. Second one, God says, I heal. God heals. He he heals all diseases. He's a healer. He's faithful. He's so good about healing us. And he, he offers that to us. And how many of you believe in the supernatural healing of God? I do. How many of you believe in divine healing? It's all divine healing. He's the giver of good gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from above. 
And sometimes he heals us in this life, and sometimes he heals us and makes us home whole, and he takes us home to heaven. But our God saves and our God heals. I just love that. Do you believe this? Do you trust him? Like, how many of you, you have a headache, and you take an aspirin or an leave or something, and it goes away, and you're like, I think I believe in healing now. Okay. Who created the medicine? God did. Who provided it? God did. God delivers us all the time. He heals us. He, he, he gives us strength. And here's, here's the biggest thought I want to say about healing. I pray that our church is just a healing place. I pray for the supernatural activity of God, that there'd be physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, financial healing. But more than anything, God wants this place to be a place of healing. I want people that are coming here every weekend that are broken and they need to be fixed. They need to be redeemed. They need to be repaired. They need to be lifted out of the pit. And we bring them to Jesus. He's a healing God. These things that Nathan stands on his head and he pleads for, church, we don't get it. We don't get it. We're not doing body life the old way that we did for 18 years. We come up with a new way. We can do it every weekend during praise and worship. People are there every weekend to receive. You ought to just start making your way there. Every weekend, church, I'm going for healing. I'm going for strength. I'm going for prayer. It's there. God, this is a healing place. I like what Jesus said. He says, if I could just, the person says, if I could just touch his garment... And then the Roman officer says, just say the word, just say the word, and I'll be healed. God's power is that prevalent today. My part is to believe. So there's three levels of faith. God can, and he does. Nothing's impossible to those who believe. God can heal us. Secondly, a level of faith is I believe God will. I do believe God will heal. How many of you believe God will heal this morning? I believe it all the time. We pray the other night. For Sandra, we pray for healing. She's talked about some different healings in her life, that God's began some healing activity. I believe he does. And here's the third one. Even if he doesn't heal us, I'll praise you anyway. I'll praise you, God. Has anybody in this room ever been healed? Raise your hand. Hold them up high. I just want you to look around the room. Wow. We got some candidates in this room. They've been healed. Wow. Wow. So this morning, we're just believing God that we'll say, Lord, you're ever faithful and you heal and you can be trusted and I'll run to you, Jesus. And the third one is God redeems. God redeems. God transforms. God changes. God delivers us from the pit. He rescues us from danger. It's hard to grasp this sometimes, but in Psalm 56, 8, there's a beautiful passage. I want you to see it. It's going to come up on the screen. Psalm 53, 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in a bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Have you ever noticed that God forgets our sin when we place it under the blood of Jesus? But he remembers our tears. I don't totally get all that, folks. I'm not smart enough. It's above my pay grade, okay? But somehow God says, every time you cry, I remember and I collect them in a bottle. I think they're of greater worth. I think somewhere in glory, God's going to bring that out and he's going to use that. I just pray our hearts will be tender to the things of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it has been so good to be in your house this morning with your kids. And Lord, we need you today. And I ask you to strengthen us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from the things that are weighing us down, the things that are hurting us, the things that are hindering our pro progress. 
And Lord, I pray that we would just worship through the battle. We would worship through the pain. We would worship through the situation. We would just worship. We would choose to bless you, God. Lord, you are faithful. You're an amazing God. And Lord, we've come just to declare who you are today. Lord, we've come to sing. We've come to pray. We want the church to bless the name of the Lord. This is a healing place.